You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, just me today, not a long pod today. Uh, We'll have several next week in getting ready for the draft. Cooley's going to join us next week on Wednesday. Um, That'll be the day before the draft. Uh, Talked to him this morning, actually, and he's like, oh, my God, that's right, the draft is next week. So he's going to get prepared a little bit over the weekend, and then he'll join us on Wednesday, the day before the draft, for uh, a long draft discussion uh, with him. Uh, Tommy will be with us Tuesday and Thursday next week, and Monday you know, we'll react to whatever happened over the weekend. Wouldn't surprise me if we see some trades potentially over the weekend in preparation for the draft. Um, also, just as an FYI, Um, Monday, I'm going to have Scott McLuhan on my radio show. So the Team 980, 7 a.m. on Monday morning, former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan uh, will be uh, my guest. And we'll get his thoughts on the draft. He's got a scouting service. He works for, uh, you know, he's got a couple of teams that he's contracted to do draft prep work for. And um, we'll catch up with him on what he thinks about this, uh, this draft. And and also, you know, go into some of what he did when he was here. Uh, so tune in for that Monday on the Team 980 and 95.9 FM in D.C. or the Team 980 app or the theteam980.com, uh, 7 a.m. on Monday morning. All right. A uh, few things to get to uh, Redskins-wise, which we will do in about five minutes, uh, five to ten minutes from now, um, we will get to that, including – the Caesars Sportsbook over-under number on the Redskins for 2020, uh, which was pretty interesting. Lowest in the league at four and a half. And I'll explain why. And also let you know what I think about it um, with respect to wagering on it. Um, But I wanted to start with just the president yesterday, you know, saying as they laid out this, you know, reopening of the economy uh, task force press conference, You know, he was asked specifically about sports, you know, and he said, you know, initially this is going to be no fans, but he doesn't think that a new norm would be 50,000 out of 100,000 at an Alabama football game. He expects us to be back at some point with 100,000 at an Alabama football game. I thought it was interesting that he specifically, you know, went to uh, sort of his base um, when talking about college football. But of course, that's what we all want. That's what we have to have, right? I mean, that's the new norm can't be you go to a sporting event and you have two seats between you and the next spectator at the game. I mean, that wouldn't be much fun. You're taking your young kids out to a baseball game, all excited about it, and you got to put two to two seats in between each of you. Um, you know, the new norm is more hand washing. More social distancing, you know, certainly practicing social distancing when practical. But my God, I mean, just the thought and listening to some people talk um, about the uh, about the possibility of what the future, like what the new norm looks like when it comes to sports is really depressing. Hopefully it's not true and hopefully the president is right that, you know, we we have a future uh, as sports fans with you know, 112,000 in Beaver Stadium for Penn State against Ohio State next. Maybe not next year. You know, maybe it's not next year. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, I did want to mention real quickly about 
the opening up America again press conference yesterday. It was actually, it's the first task force press conference I've really sat through start to finish in, I don't know, a week or so. It's gotten old. Come on, man. I mean, this is not a political statement at all. Um, Everybody, you know, whether you're a supporter of this administration or not, you know, we've seen these train wreck press conferences. They've been cringeworthy uh, at times. I mean, even his most ardent of supporters would say, all right, enough. There's a lot of repetition and there's a lot of talking about himself and making it about himself. And that's been a, a little bit difficult to watch. With, th- with, with that said, you know, I've been very impressed with Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci over the last month and a half. And when we got to Dr. Burks and Dr. Burks laying out the three-phased plan for the, you know, the, the reopening of America again, I was interested to see how they laid it out and whether or not, you know, I thought it was going to be understandable for most people. And I didn't think it was. I thought it was really complicated. Now, I opened it up and I had it open on my desktop as I was watching them. You know, the whole plan, it's 18 pages long, you know, so they had 18 slides up there that they were going through. And, you know, they went through phase one, which is really, you know, uh, basically where we are now with a very slow introduction into people going back to work in phases and, you know, and some, you know, non-essential travel as long as they're adhering to the CDC guidelines. And then you get to phase two and it's a little bit more aggressive of getting back to sort of where we, you know, want to be. Um, and then phase three is what they called the new normal, you know, getting back to somewhat uh, approaching what used to be normal, but, you know, with a lot of things in place that we, you know, are going to become more permanent, like social distancing when practice, uh, when practical, like, you know, hand sanitizing and constant hand washing and precautionary measures when it comes to those kinds of things. And each one of these phases, you know, had a plan for individuals. It had a plan for employers. It had a plan for specific types of employers. But what it really got confusing was basically after the president and Dr. Burks talked, then Fauci got up there and I thought he was much better in communicating it. And he said, basically, just if people are confused at all, and I think he had this sense that maybe not everybody, you know, was grasping it, um, that he wanted wanted to make sure that everybody understood that before you even got to phase one, there was a period called the gating period where you had to meet certain criteria to basically gate or open the gate Uh, up for you to go into phase one. And this is where I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I sort of got that when Dr. Burks was talking about it. And this is where I would have said, no, 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 no. It should have been, I just think it should have been easier. I think, you know, it shouldn't have been gating period before you get to phase one. Everybody understands big numbers, all right? Phase one, phase two, phase three, all right? That should have been it. Right, this is what we're going to do. Everybody right now is in phase one. But within the next week, based on the governor's decisions or the county decisions, you might be able to move into phase two. 
you know, and phase two is sort of a gradual, you know, opening up of the economy, opening up of offices, opening up of gyms and partial opening up of restaurants or whatever. And then the goal is to get to phase three where we're back to almost normal again. But this phase one, phase two, phase three explanation, and then they go back and say, oh, wait a minute, you're not eligible for phase one until you get through a gating process, which I don't necessarily think is the best, you know, uh, verb, or is that a noun in this particular case, you know, is a title, the gating criteria? Um, I, I just, I, I think it got really confusing. Anyway, I, I'll get off my, um, I'll get off my soapbox on that. I just thought it could have been laid out in simpler, uh, fashion. Um, I do want, like everybody wants, uh, sports back, you know, golf's going to open, reopen J- June 11th. We're going to get the tournament and the schedule, um, without fans. Um, and I think the bottom line is, is I just personally hope that by the time we get to August, there is the the ability for football teams to open up training camp and to get ready for a regular season. And if there aren't any fans to start with, I'll understand that. I just want the games. And again, Tommy and I talked about this. I totally get, and to me it's very intuitive, that if you don't have a therapeutic answer and you don't have a vaccine and people are still testing positive, then there's going to be a problem. You know, in playing even in front of empty crowds. I I get that. I just hope by the time we get to August, there's a medical answer that it has waned a little bit with warm weather that, you know, uh, you know, even the hot spots aren't hot anymore and we can get back to normal. Um, All right. A couple of other things before we get to the Redskins stuff. Ethan Strauss covers the Warriors out in the Bay Area, and he talked about how Kevin Durant, when he was in Golden State playing for the Warriors, accused local media of kissing Steph Curry's ass. Now, what I'm going to go through here in, in brief order is basically this continuation of, wow, is Kevin Durant sensitive to criticism? It's unbelievable. This incredible all-time talent. I had Scott Brooks on on the radio show last week, or maybe it was early this week, and I asked him about when he was, you know, uh, with OKC, and he actually started in Seattle when the organization was in Seattle, and he was PJ Carlissimo's assistant coach when they drafted Durant. And I said, "What was your first impression of Durant?" And he said, "PJ and I looked at him the first time when we practiced, and we we said this this is going to be an all-time great player." It was totally unique to watch somebody that size be able to not only shoot it the way he shot it, but be able to create the shot shot opportunities that he was able to create. They knew it from the jump. He's so gifted, so gifted. And yet, you know, over the years, you know, he has set up, you know, fake Twitter accounts, burner Twitter accounts to lob in compliments to himself on his actual Twitter account. It's crazy. Or to respond to criticism uh, from his burner accounts. Um, And this guy, Ethan Strauss of The Athletics, says he was confronted once by Durant um, after he had been critical of Durant in sort of leveraging his position for a new deal. And Durant approached him and accused him and others of kissing Steph Curry's ass at his own expense. Here's the quote from Ethan Strauss of The Athletic. Quote, 
I tried to make a few points saying I didn't begrudge him for having leverage with his contract and insisted that I had good reason to write what I wrote. KD wasn't impressed and accused me of trying to rile up Steph's fans. He expressed that this was a constant theme in the Bay Area. All of us local guys just wanted to kiss Steph's ass at his expense. This was KD's consistent lament. He would frequently squabble in direct message conversations with Warriors fans on Twitter, frequently accusing them of favoring Steph at his own expense. In one such exchange that foreshadowed things to come, he was asked by somebody on Twitter with the Warriors World Twitter handle whether or not Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving was the better player. Now, at the time, it's Durant playing for the Warriors with Steph Curry as his teammate. And his response was, quote, I I guess I got to really sit down and analyze that, closed quote. Uh, Strauss basically indicates that this was probably a part of the reason Durant decided to leave Golden State and go to Brooklyn, that he just didn't feel like he was being treated properly by media when it came to him versus Steph Curry. That's nuts. First of all, Curry won a title before you know Durant ever got there. They probably should have won two had Draymond Green not gotten kicked out of game five, you know, with a 3-1 series lead. Um, They won two when Durant got there, and Durant was obviously a big part of them continuing this dynasty that Steph and Clay and Draymond started. There's no reason why anybody should have any issue why Bay Area fans love Steph Curry. He is the one that essentially started with that organization and turned a terrible organization into a championship organization. Steph Curry, if you were in that market and you were a Warriors fan, you were a Bay Area sports fan, wouldn't you have a special place in your heart for Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green? Right? I mean, Kevin Durant jumped on an already championship roster. Sure, he was a big part of and maybe was, you know, instrumental in winning two more titles for them. And maybe Curry and Thompson wouldn't have won another one. Maybe they wouldn't have. You know, they lost to Toronto without him last year in the finals, but they did get to that series. You know, I, I just I find it fascinating that Kevin Durant is so sensitive to crit- criticism. I was told this morning by CJ, my producer, Chris Johnson, a lot of you know uh, CJ. Um, CJ told me that there's a documentary coming out on Showtime, May 15th, PG County, It's in the Water, um, about all of the great basketball talent out of PG County. You know, Prince George's County has it currently has more born and bred PG County people in the NBA than any other county in the country. Like, it's not even close. I think there are like 12 or 13 NBA players born and raised in PG County. And like the next closest county of NBA players has like six. So I'm actually really looking forward to watching that. I didn't know anything about it, but that debuts May 15th on Showtime. Um, So looking forward to that. And then um, obviously the Jordan show starts Sunday night. 
Jordan, you know, has had a couple of quotes about this documentary, this 10 part documentary, including a quote where he says, people aren't going to like me very much after watching this. Well, you know, his teammates didn't always love him, you know, as they were winning championship after championship, he was tough. You know, he was hyper competitive. He was tough on people that weren't exactly like him and nobody was exactly like him. You know, that, that was part of the problem, but I can't wait to watch that, actually. I think that's going to be really um, an interesting uh, show to watch. All right, let's get to some Redskins stuff. Uh, right after I remind you that uh, I want you to listen to me now, 6 to 9 a.m. on the Team 980, team980.com, 95.9 FM locally, in, 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 in addition to 980 on the AM dial. Um, you can use Alexa. You can lo- use Google Home. And just tell them to pull up Team 980 or the Kevin Sheehan Show. Uh, But uh, we've had a lot of really good guests in preparing for uh, the draft on Thursday. And we will have more next week as well. As I mentioned, you'll hear Scott McLuhan on Monday. Good chance we'll have Charlie Casserly on the show on Tuesday. Um, So we'll have a bunch of people. Had Dane Brugler from The Athletic the other day. Ben Standig, who is the... National mock draft champion reigning from a year ago, beat guys like Daniel Jeremiah and others. Um, Ben's been doing his mock draft and predicting the Redskins draft round by round on the radio show as well, so you can hear him uh, as well. Uh, On the podcast, as I mentioned, Cooley will be on on Wednesday. That's the plan for right now. You know, we know know Cooley. He – the best – Best of plans sometimes go awry um, with him, but uh, I talked to him this morning and he says he'll be prepared and ready to go on Wednesday um, for the draft. All right, a couple of Redskins-related items. First of all, this Caesars Sportsbook, uh, you know, odds that came out yesterday, updated odds on the NFL. It included... You know, Super Bowl odds, championship odds, division odds, and then a ton, um, every team's updated over-under win total for this year. Um, The Redskins' win total for this year, four and a half games. The lowest in the NFL, Jacksonville was also at four and a half, so tied for the lowest in the league. The Redskins' odds to win the Super Bowl are dead last. They've got the longest odds at 150 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Jacksonville's at 125 to 1. This is Caesar Sportsbook. Um, they they released these updated NFL numbers uh, yesterday. By the way, just as a quick aside, for those of you wondering, um, if the season were shortened, for whatever reason, then your bet would be voided. You know, if you bet over four and a half and they only play eight games, not 16, the bet that you make now, if you make that, is not going to to, to count, okay? It's based on a 16-game schedule. A couple of things real quickly before I get back to the Redskins. For the first time in like two decades nearly, the Patriots are not the favorite to win the AFC East. The Bills are. They're plus 100 to win the NFC, to win the AFC East, and the Patriots are plus 140. The Patriots over-under number is 8.5. The Bills over-under number is 9. The Bills are the AFC East favorites. Uh, pretty interesting there. Um, the favorite to win the whole, uh, the whole kit and caboodle uh, are the Chiefs at 4-1, to one. 
Um, and then you've got uh, the 49ers at seven to one, and then the Ravens are eight to one. So those are your three Super Bowl favorites. Again, um, the Chiefs at four to one, the 49ers at seven to one, and the Ravens sitting there at eight to one are your three uh, preseason Super Bowl favorites per. Uh, Caesar Sportsbook. Now let's get to the NFC East. So the NFC East odds, the Cowboys and Eagles are co-favorites to win the, the NFC East. They're both plus 105. What that means, and we've explained this before, but for those of you, um, I just want to walk you through it if you're still not totally sure how it works. Um, a, a money line odd, you know, like odds like plus 105 in this particular situation means that if you bet the Cowboys at plus 105 and they win the division, you bet $100, you win $105. So it's nearly even money odds. All right, the Eagles are also plus 105. The Giants' um, odds to win the division are 8-1, to all right? So they are plus 800. So you bet 100, you win 800. The Redskins are 22 to 1, so you bet $100, you win 2200 if they win the division. The Redskins are a long shot, super long shot to win the division. And just, you know, uh, to, to make this point about the Redskins and the Giants, many of you believe that the two teams are closer than Caesar Sportsbook believes. The Giants are much closer to a division based on their odds um, than the Redskins. The Redskins are a super long shot at 22 to 1. The Giants are 8 to 1. And then we get to the over-under numbers for win totals. All right. This is the projected win total out of 16 games in a 16-game schedule for each of these teams. The Redskins over-under win total for 2020 is four and a half games. The Jacksonville Jaguars also at four and a half. Um, I think the next lowest is Cincinnati at five games. It's the lowest I think the Redskins have been ever, maybe. They, they were five and a half last year. Um, still low. Four and a half is really low going into a season. And so I actually put together a Twitter poll uh, last night, and we've had you know well over 3,000 votes so far. And uh, my question was, you know, the Redskins over under at four and a half wins. If you had to wager a $1,200 stimulus check, would you go over or under? The results surprised me, actually. Not that more people picked over rather than under, but the difference. 80.4% of those voting in the poll took over four and a half. 19.6% took under four and a half. I would have thought it would have been maybe 60, 40, something like that, 70, 30, not 80%. But, you know, Redskin fans, for the most part, look at this team and they think it's going to be better than last year. Last year, they won three games. And most of us, and I agree with this, believe that the Redskins, just with the coaching staff change alone, competence at head coach, Competence at defensive coordinator, which we have not had here in Washington in several years, with some decent, we think, talent defensively and the ability to add Chase Young to the mix, um, that they'll be better than three wins that they were last year. And most of you think they'll be at least two wins better 
you know, and think that maybe the worst case would be five to six wins next year. I agree with that. Now, the contrarian in me wants to pick under. It says everybody's going over, I should take under. But I, I don't believe that. Analytically, I don't see this team as a four-win or less team. I, look, it's going to be really hard to predict all of this stuff with what we're going through in the kind of offseason, and it's a new coaching staff, and it's a quarterback with a new system, a whole offense with a new system, a whole defense with a new system, and maybe teams with new coaching staffs are going to be at a major disadvantage this year. You know, that may be right, but then, you know, the Giants are a full game better than the Redskins on their over-under total. They've got a new coaching staff. Um, I think there are two reasons primarily there may be more, but two reasons primarily why the boys in the desert don't think very highly of the Redskins. The number one answer is that they sucked last year. They were a three-win team last year. Whenever you're a three-win team the year before, unless you had you know, an all-pro, all-world quarterback who got hurt early in the year, and that's why you won three games, you know, barring that, you know, the three wins from last year are going to carry over in terms of the way they evaluate the team going into the next year. Now, we all know that the NFL changes significantly year to year and that teams go from three wins to, you know, 12, 13 wins overnight. The 49ers did it last year and they were in the Super Bowl. Now, a lot of people thought that the 49ers were going to be much improved going into next year. I don't remember specifically what their over-under number was, but remember, they lost Garoppolo the year before and they were drafting Nick Bosa, and they were a better team, and I think a lot of people believed in the head coach um, and the offensive scheme. Um, But anyway, um, number one reason the Redskins over-under total uh, uh, per Caesar Sportsbook is the lowest in the league tied with Jacksonville is that they were a three-win team last year, um, and not a lot other than the coaching staff has changed. And then number two, and actually I'd put this at 1A, is the quarterback. Dwayne Haskins is a factor in this. Trust me on this. I know a lot of people that do this, you know, in Vegas, offshore, and I'm familiar with what goes in to the thinking on this. There is not a lot of faith, not a lot of belief, not a lot of confidence in Dwayne Haskins. In Vegas, the Sharps, the Books, the Odds Makers. You know, they have more faith, more confidence in Daniel Jones than they do in Dwayne Haskins. So that's those are the two leading reasons as to why the Redskins have the lowest expectations of any team in the league going into the 2020 season. Now, does the schedule play into it at all? Not really, to be honest with you. Most Vegas odds makers understand that predicting schedule strength based on last year's results is really hard to do. Um, we know this. We go through it every year. You know, your opponents, you know, everybody gets all wrapped up, and I'm going to do a mock schedule like I do every year, but that's, you know, tongue placed firmly in cheek every year. But everybody understands that you look at an NFL schedule and everybody gets carried away with, oh, my God. They got that team and that team. That's brutal. They can't win that game. And all of a sudden, you get into the schedule, and the games you thought you were going to be, you know, uh, that you thought were going to be easy games end up being tough games, and the games you thought were going to be impossible end up being much easier. Happens every year. The Redskins do have on paper 
a tough schedule. They play the AFC North, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, and then the Bengals. They play the NFC West, Seattle, San Francisco, the Rams, and a team that I think many believe will be really improved in Arizona. Um, and they play the NFC East. They play the Cowboys twice, the Giants twice, and the Eagles twice. We understand that. Their, their other two games based on where they finished uh, in their division are the Panthers at home and the Lions on the road. You know, yeah, at, based on last year's results, this looks like a tough schedule, you know. Uh, road games in San Francisco at Arizona, neither one of those two are very easy. A road game at Pittsburgh, road, you know, Philly and Dallas and Cleveland. Home games against the Seahawks and the Rams and the Ravens, you know, and obviously the Cowboys and the Eagles as well. You know, you start going through and you start doing the you counting up wins and losses, it's tough to get to five. You know, I mean, okay, the Giants at home, this is the way you would play it. We can beat the Bengals at home, we can beat the Giants at home. We can split with either the Cowboys or the Eagles for a third win at home. I think we can beat the Panthers at home. That's four. Then on the road, who are you going to beat? You're going to beat Pittsburgh on the road, Cleveland on the road, the 49ers on the road, Cowboys, Eagles on the road, Giants on the road, the Cardinals or Lions. Maybe you say, ah, we can get Detroit or we can get Arizona. And there's the fifth win. We do this thing every year where we do the best case, worst case. You know, last year, I think my best case record was, I think it was nine wins. My worst case was three. And I think I went with six and 10. I, I can't remember exactly where I was. I was not very bullish on the Redskins season. I was hopeful that the defense would keep them competitive in more games than not. Um, and, uh, you know, they won three. Um, I would say right now my early best case, worst case, best case would be nine wins, worst case would be five. I don't see them winning three or four. Obviously, injuries change everything. You know, if they're decimated by injuries and all of a sudden, you know, they're – you know, they're really struggling. I mean, they could easily win two and be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. But I just think, you know, all things being equal, uh, a normal injury year, I find it hard that uh, that they won't be improved, you know, by at least two games. So I would actually take the over on that four and a half over under win total. I would. Um, that leads me to this. Um, so... I, I did this on the radio show this morning, and we took calls. We could have taken calls all three hours on this particular question. Um, but basically, seeing that four-and-a-half over-under win total and understanding why it was what it was, in part because there's not a lot of faith in the desert in Dwayne Haskins, um, I asked the question this morning on the phone lines – you know, it's time to sort of tell everybody where you are on Haskins. You know, buddy comes up to you, knows you're a Redskins fan. What do you think about Haskins? What's your answer right now? You know, because the Redskins do have an opportunity Thursday night with the number two overall pick in the draft to take, you know, one of the more intriguing quarterback prospects in recent years, you know, Tua Tungavailoa. Now, the injury thing would keep me away from him. But if the Redskins don't think that Dwayne Haskins is the future, then they should know that or have a strong feeling one way or the other before Thursday night. 
Now, to me, Chase Young is so good and one of the best prospects in years that it makes it easier to pass on the quarterback even if you think you need a quarterback. But it's sort of time right now before this draft to sort of, you know, act, to sort of fess up on where you are on Dwayne Haskins. A lot of conversation. I think this, the fan base is sort of split on him. I had a caller, a longtime caller, say that the fan base has been torturing. I think it was Bobby, uh, Bobby in North Carolina. Um, if you're listening, Bobby, I think it was you who said you think that that Dwayne's been really hammered, um, you know, sort of unjustifiably by the media and fans. I don't really sense that. I think there have been some, you know, maybe half the fan base has been really tough on him, and half of them. You know, half of the fans, I think, have sort of taken my position or have a similar feel, which is, you know, I thought he was pretty good last year. I thought he really improved. I thought he got better. So I asked the question, what do you really think about Dwayne Haskins right now? You know, and I gave out three options, essentially. One option was, you've seen enough, you think he's the franchise QB. You think he's the real deal and they got it right. Option two is you saw enough last year to make it totally worth it to go with him in 2020, let him start 16 games because you saw enough to feel like there's a really good chance that he can be the guy, but you need to see more, but you really are excited to see more. Um, That's where I am. I saw enough last year. I saw him get better. I saw the size, the arm strength, the throwing with anticipation, the hanging in there, taking big shots and making throws, the more mobility and playmaking ability than I thought he had, the competitiveness that he had, the urgency in which he played, especially in a couple of those close games at the end, like the Detroit game in particular. Um, I liked what I saw from Dwayne. I did. I was pleasantly surprised and impressed. And the fact that it kept getting better as it went on and his teammates and his coaches all went out of their way to talk about sort of how they've seen him grow, you know, as as a quarterback, you know, in his preparation, in his commitment, and then in his performance. To me, that was encouraging. You know, you didn't Bill Callahan didn't have to say that. You know, Chris Thompson and others didn't have to say that about him. I was also hearing similar things about him. I've heard from the jump that he's likable and he's smart, you know, and then you combine that with how competitive he plays. I don't know. He's shown enough for me to have me excited to see him play 16 games in 2020. And then at the end of 2020, we'll have a a better feel for it. So option one is sort of, you know, you are sold he's the franchise quarterback for the next decade. Option two is you really liked some of the things you saw and you really want to see more. You want to see him start 16 games this year. They don't need to address quarterback in this draft. And then option three is, uh uh-uh. You saw, you watched, you you really don't believe in him. You don't think he's got it. You don't think he's the guy. It's time to address it in this draft. Let's pick Tua. Let's roll the dice on Tua. Or let's, you know, see if we can trade back and take Justin Herbert, who I don't like in this draft, just um, as an FYI. I think he's wildly inaccurate. Uh, I didn't like him in some big spots, in big games they had. Um, 
I don't think he's anywhere near what Burrow is or what Tua is, but I wouldn't touch Tua with the 10-foot pole because of the injury history. So you can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan DC and let me know which of those three. I, I might put a poll out on this maybe tomorrow. But, you know, option one, you are sold that he's the franchise quarterback. Option two, you saw enough and you saw the progress and you're intrigued and you can't wait to watch him in 2020. But you'll sort of come to a more definitive conclusion after he starts 16 more games. Or option three, you don't believe in him at all. Seven games was enough for you. You're ready to move on from him. Um, Again, I I think it's important for the organization to have a strong lean one way or the other. And I know it's hard because it's a new coaching staff and they haven't been able to spend any time with him, you know, face to face. But they've watched every snap. They've watched every play. They've talked to everybody. We read last week that they've talked to Urban Meyer, that Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith have talked to Rivera or Scott Turner. That you know they, they've done as much due diligence in this environment as possible. And so, you know, again, I, I've I've said this many times, but personally, I just don't think Ron Rivera would be here. Um, if he didn't sort of sell Dan Snyder on the fact that he believes in Haskins, or at the very least believes that Haskins has to be given the opportunity next year to prove it, that there's enough there that he's seen that he wants to roll in 2020 with Haskins. I, I don't think that Ron Rivera could have said anything else like, nah, I'm not sure, uh, I think we may have to move in another direction, and that he would have been offered the job. And I don't think he needed to say anything but what he really thought because if he didn't get this job, there would have been another job. You know, comparing it to Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden had to sell Dan on the fact that RG3 could be developed into a drop-back quarterback. Or Jay Gruden was more likely than not not going to get a head coaching job. So anyway, um, uh, you know, the the over-under number four and a half, I'd go over. Um, I'm not surprised that it's low. I'm a little bit surprised that it's the lowest. Um, I think they're selling the Redskins coaching staff, you know, upgrade a little bit short. I think they're selling the talent on the defensive side of the ball in particular, especially with the chance to add Chase Young a little bit short. Um, But I understand why they're not sold on the quarterback. I, I do understand that. Um... And, you know, that leads me into I don't want him to address quarterback in this draft. I want him to draft Chase Young, and I want to roll with Haskins in 2020. All right, that's it for the day. Um, Keeping it short today. Back Monday, uh, and again, Tommy twice next week, Cooley in between on Wednesday and and sort of getting uh, everybody ready for uh, the draft. Um, watch the Jordan thing Sunday night. I think it's going to be interesting, and I think we'll be able to talk about that on Monday. Um, uh, really interested to see, you know, just how, uh, you know, it really was with guys like Cartwright and Jordan early on, and then eventually Pippen and, you know, Paxson and Kerr and those, you know, six championship teams in eight years. Um, that, it, it, that, that's a, that's a documentary. I'm very interested, uh, in checking out. All right. Stay safe, stay healthy, have a great weekend. Again, don't forget Monday, 7am 
on the Team 980, uh, Scott McLuhan will be our guest. We'll do you know a solid 15, 20 minutes plus with McLuhan and get his thoughts on the draft and ask him a little bit about his time here as well. Take care. Have a good weekend.